It's not so bad. It's not so bad. Yeah. I want to thank you for giving me the best day of my life. Oh, just to be with you. Giving me the best day of my life. Yes, we did it. Taylor, thanks for singing along. Of course. Uh, that was, just in case everybody's wondering, Dido. Did I say that right? Yeah, I think so. Is that the song that's on um, Love Actually? There's a Dido song on Love Actually. I think that's it. Oh, is there? When did this song get released? Um, it's early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. And you can see I went with the thankful theme again this week yes. in our opener. Because guess what Thursday is? Thanksgiving. You may have the... Um, Turkey Day? You may have the uh, singing down, but I've got the animal noises. Yeah, but for it was sure. This or... What are you going to do for Thanksgiving? Nothing, huh? No, not really. Yeah, you had to bring the hammer down on the family decision, I heard. Yes, yes, we did. We're doing the same thing. My sister's family lives next door, and we have two turkeys because we were celebrating separately. <gasps> really? Yeah, it's very sad. That is sad. And we had to make my mom choose a family. I was going to say, what's Nana going to do? Yeah, we said, Mom, pick. Choose now this day whom you will serve, the Carnies or the Carlsons. What was her choice? Well, I kind of... I got a little aggressive and it's the carnies <laughs> oh my god here's the thing my sister you know gets my no. mom for everything that's the very youngest child behavior no, is what i will my say my sister you. functionally especially in terms of my mom is the youngest child okay she always gets my mom to baby her for everything okay so anyhow she has the largest need for my mom still i get that which one of your siblings has the largest need for marty uh you know i think we all need marty she's the two she's trained us to need her <laughs> Um, but I do think, uh, you know, Kathleen and Jacob are twins. Yeah. So that always kind of is a funny family dynamic thing. I think Jacob definitely functions as the youngest. Jacob is the youngest. Well, he, oh, who came out of the womb first? Um, Jacob, but the doctors told my parents that he was conceived last. There's no way I don't believe that, um, Kathleen was the dominant um, baby yes. in utero. Yes, yes. Kathleen was, she's, I don't know why she's, she's not going to like us talking about this, but Kathleen was born breech. So from A1, day one, she was like, I'm doing things my way. I know that's true. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of Marty. Yeah. She turns out to be the official, it was either uh, this or correspondent from um, the Dallas area. Because yeah. she, she had an update for us on a, a conversation piece. Why don't you tell us about that? She did. She So Marty called me <laughs> multiple times to make sure that I knew because um, we talked last week about the Pfizer vaccine and the fact that the CEO of Pfizer sold all of his stock. And we were like, that's weird. That doesn't inspire confidence. And she told us that his... Um, Sometime in August, I don't exactly have all of the reasonings for why he would have done this, but he put his stock in a certain type of trust and then scheduled a date for the for his stock to be sold. So it just so happened that that date was like the Monday before the vaccine got announced. That is slightly insane when you think about um, the timing of everything. Yeah. How does that all line up that way? It's crazy. I have no clue. I also don't understand 
why he would have been putting his like selling his stock in the first place. Well, just wanted to diversify the portfolio. Maybe the uh, research wasn't looking good when he scheduled that back in August. Maybe yeah, he wanted to. He just wanted to sell it, I guess. And then, but then he had to make sure it didn't look like it was lack of faith and. Or uh, maybe he's getting ready to send his grandchild to college and. Our child, maybe this is a young CEO, and he just needed, or she, she just needed to liquidate some stock yeah. so she had some cash on hand. Or, again, I like my theory from last week Yeah. that he too. or she just wanted let's to... Let's go with she. Let's, let's okay, assume she, that she's... That she just wanted to yeah. um, let other people, you know, partake in the wealth. I like that theory. Me too. Well, thanks, Marty. For yes. keeping us, and you know what, that allowed me to have more hope about these two vaccines that they're talking as early as the middle of December now. <gasps> Are you serious? Yes. Can you believe that Operation Warp Speed? They're calling it, and they're oh doing it. My warp gosh. Speed. Thanks to all of our science researchers. And do you know? So if if they're saying mid December, is that like the first date people would get it? Or? I think actually, this is all Lindsay reporting to me. She okay. she reads the news. I don't. She, I think she said something about Fauci saying that at some point it won't be ethical for us to give placebos anymore. Okay. So I think this is even like still um, in the trial phase for getting okay. data. Because, you know, like if people think they have a vaccine, but they really have a placebo, they may act in a way in right. which they are more confident that they should be about right. their vulnerability to the disease. Interesting. Um, do you know what is a funny thing I heard Dr. Fauci say this weekend? I, I don't know. Please tell me. He was. Oh, being, I think maybe. Go ahead. Okay. He was being interviewed and the interviewer asked him, will the gays be able to brunch again? Um, ever, you know? And Dr. Fauci said, yes. And I would, um, definitely, uh, you know, I would love to go with you or something like that. It was yes. a very sweet moment. That was very kind of him. I yeah. will say this. I saw that, and I, I didn't understand. Is brunching a term that means something besides getting lunch in the noonish, pre-noonish hour? No. Okay, just when can the gays go brunching again? Yes. Uh, I will tell you, I try and follow you and Kathleen on the Twitters. You do? And you know how in, in Twitter, like, there's a story, and then there's a response to it, uh-huh. and then there's, like, it's the response to respond. I'm not smart enough, and I don't know enough cultural slang to really follow the stories on Twitter to get the jokes. Yeah, you know what? I just... Twitter is such an interesting place in that it has developed its own vocabulary, really. I just posted my tweets I liked this week, and a number of them I thought, this is all very, like, Twitter-specific. Like, I don't know. That's okay, though. I'm I'm for insider jokes. Some people don't like that. Okay. I think if you worked hard to be a part of a culture and there's a kind of... um, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Nah, I was, I was going to say um, the theological term, uh, perichoresis. That's overstated. But a mutual understanding uh-huh. that you've earned from working. I think that's fine. Yeah. Well earned. Oh, well, that's um, nice of you. I have some really great news, and I I, I doubt I'm going to be the one to break this to you. <gasps> but um, oh, but you know what? I just deleted all my notes. <gasps> no. Oh, no, I didn't. I just did some kind of drawing function on my phone. No, did you see... What? That Selena the series is coming to Netflix in December fourth. Yes, I yes I do. We're on know the that scale of one to ten. Where are you on the Selena series? I've tried to not learn much about it because, as you know, Selena is my hero and the best person I know, and I'm obsessed with her. And I don't know her, and also she's not alive, but I am obsessed with her. I'm also with her music, um, and so. Uh, I have tried not to look much into it, but everything I've seen about it looks very exciting and very good. And the things I have read are very promising. So I am hopeful. 
about the Selena uh, series on Netflix. Um, so we'll see what happens. So you have a um, a tempered hope that this will be yes, pretty good. Exactly. Yes. Well, I'm hopeful for you. Thank you. Hey, I should have actually not gone to Selena before. I have another Twitter observation. <gasps> oh, this okay. Again, this is like your sister's episode. It's another Kathleen about Twitter Kathy. So she um she retweeted Kathleen. Yeah. A LL Cool J tweet. Okay. And um, I will say this. I have been paying much more attention to Instagram and Twitter followers uh-huh. since we started the show because I try and get celebrities to be on and I, I gauge where they are culturally by how many followers they have. Uh-huh. Which, by the way, this is all very idiosyncratic, which I'm going to make this point. So put a pin in L.O. Cool J unless you looked at the tweet and paid attention to this. Uh-huh. Okay. Aaron Rodgers, sure. who I think is a very um, current, relevant, cultural icon. In the sports world. Sure. He's in the MVP conversation again. He has the highest rating of all time as a quarterback. It's very mm-hmm. good. 4.3 million followers, okay? Okay. Uh, Dan Levy, this one surprised me. Okay. Uh, first person to win four Emmys in four major categories. How many followers do you think he has on Twitter? 1.2. 776,000. Oh. Joanna Gaines, 1.4, local hero. Okay. Yeah. Halle Berry, I just wanted to be uh, diverse in this portfolio. 375,000 Twitter or Twitter followers. Now, here's what I'll say. Some people work harder at this than others, right? Right. Which is the, okay, the difference. Um, Steve Martin, born in Waco, uh, 8.7 million. Hmm. And then I did Rex Chapman because he's like, we'll talk, we'll do a whole episode on Rex Chapman. He doesn't make sense to me, but he has 1 million. He's a cultural influencer. Do you know who Rex Chapman is? I don't. He played basketball for the Kentucky Wildcats in the late eighties. And then he was a pro ball. Go read his story on ESPN. Anyways, he's an influencer. 1 million. Okay, now you've heard of those. How many followers do you think LL Cool J has? 12 million. 5 million followers. <laughs> now, I like the guy, but what has he done in the last 10 years? Uh, he hosts like TV shows. I feel like he hosts a lot of TV Is shows. Is he still doing stuff and I just don't know it? I don't I don't know. I can't speak to that. I like I have a vague Oh, he, you know he hosts that um lip-syncing show. Oh, he hosts the lip sync show? Yeah. The, like, oh, I, like I actually him, haven't seen it. Okay, well, him and Chrissy Teigen, So I what think. we're really learning is the problem here is that I'm just really culturally illiterate. Well, there's a lot of shows now. There is a it's lot hard of shows. to keep up with them all. So, well, good job, LL Cool J. Good job, LL Cool J. Um, you know Trevor, my brother-in-law? Yes, I do know You know him. Lindsay's middle name is Ray? I did not know that. So guess what he calls her? I... LL Cool Ray. You nailed it. LL yes. Cool Ray. He hasn't as much anymore. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, I love I, nicknames. I'm bouncing all over. I got another one for you. We're now finally in uh, free agency for the NBA. We haven't talked about the NBA. Free agency. And the only, I'm going to bring up one name because I remember when he got signed to his last contract, you walked into the office and you're like, what the double hockey sticks? <laughs> uh, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Gordon Hayward. Just oh. signed a well. He signed a massive oh. contract with Boston. He just got re-signed by the Hornets, four-year, twenty million dollars a year. What did he do in Boston? I don't, I don't understand. Gordon Why do people Hayward. keep giving him so much money? I mean, I get it. Okay, he's, he's good. good. He's good, but I just it's. But it is like, I don't know. People are seeing something that I'm not, not seeing. seeing. Yeah, I don't see it. The Hornets, by the way, now have LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward. They're going to be a breakout season. Here's my first prediction. The Hornets are going to be the uh, seventh seed Ooh, this coming year. Wow. Uh, they were on the verge. They're, they're good. You know who else is a team that's been in the, the basement that's going to emerge pretty soon? Who? The, um, the Hawks. Okay, well, first they're, of all. They're coming back. I would like to talk about the Hawks because all weekend long, I just kept seeing Hawks fans trash-talking the Mavs and Luka. 
Oh, that's stupid. That was way better than Trey Young. And it was like, well, do you remember that draft night story? No. We drafted Trey Young and oh, then yeah. we traded for Luca. Yeah. And I don't know. Apparently, people, Hawks fans are still mad or something. Well, they should be. Luca's way better. <laughs> I know. But it just was like, they were all like, the Mavs think they're so great, but I don't know what impersonation I'm doing. No, that's how the Hawks fans sound. <laughs> Please keep going. How do. The Mavs think they're so great. Let's but... have a let's have a conversation with the Hawks fans. <laughs> stupid Luka Doncic. Does but... he even know how stupid Germany is? Yeah. And uh so but they were like, you know, Trey's a year younger or something and we're we're a year behind their rebuild and we didn't go get, you know, a KP. So this is our year and it just was like okay, great. I don't know why it. you're just talking so much we're... about us. You just uh no they had the higher pick, though. The Mavs did, right? This year? No. Oh, yes. So they drafted Young in front of Doncic and then traded down for Doncic. Um, Is that right? No, I think uh, I think the Hawks had him. Had Doncic ahead of Trey Young? Well, yeah. I don't think he was in the draft because, because he came from... Deutschland? Yeah. Well, what year was that? 2018 draft? He came in Spain. I, he no, came I from think he Spain. Was part of the draft. Well, yeah, you I don't. Could be right. We're gonna I don't. This up. Keep talking. I don't remember exactly I'm what they get did. To the bottom of this. But I just it was also so strange because I hadn't seen them be so mad, and then all of a sudden this weekend they all were just like talking so much trash on Twitter and being like, "The we're coming for the Mavs," and it was like, "Why you should." You should come for someone who, like, you should come for the Lakers. Do you want to win or do you just want to be us? That's weird. I don't understand that. Okay, I have this. Okay. So the Hawks drafted John Tick with the third pick. Ah, uh, okay. The Mavs drafted Young with the fifth pick. Okay. And they traded. Wow. So I, th- I thought that, um, so the Hawks allegedly should have um, gotten more. Right, say the higher pick. Well, I'm sure they got it was part of a trade package. Yeah, that I mean? they had worked out beforehand. You take yeah. him here, we'll take the okay. Yeah. Well, anyhow, there's fun facts. That's the NBA. I'm still waiting for Giannis to stay home. Did you see we signed Drew Holiday? Or I can't tell if that part of the deal fell through because there was an investigation with the Kings. We'll have to get oh. Elliot crying here to straighten things up. Yeah, him. yeah, he'll have to give us some insight. Um, well, here's the other thing I have. Okay. Um, then we're going to go to reviews. We almost didn't have any this week, but then we got an excellent review. By the way, I got to the bottom of the Cat 2313 uh, review. Oh, who was it? You were right. It was uh, Catherine Reynolds. Yes. And so we're so grateful for her. I review. love it. I love it when I'm And right. guess what? I asked her, I said, did you just um, say nice things about the, the Johnny Rose thing because you felt bad for me? And she said, no, I actually thought it was a great impression. Good. So I don't know why she would need to make me feel good about my life at this point. So I'm going to take it as a real compliment. Yeah. Okay. We have one review this week mm-hmm. from Harris Bechtold. Do you know who Harris is? Um, I do think I've met him before. Okay. So Harris um, was an undergraduate student at Baylor, and he was on the leadership team at UBC when I first moved here. Oh. So my like third Sunday here afterwards, they had this thing called uh, Mass. And I, I don't know why it's called mass, to be honest. Okay. Um, it was n- nothing had to do with liturgy at all. There's no part of it was like liturgical worship. Okay. Anyhow, we divided up into teams and I went to the assimilation team 
which was led by Harris Bechtel and Lacey at the time, Urbanki, later McNamee. Uh-huh. And um, our job was to, like, basically welcome people in the church. So that week, like, two days later, we did a welcome thing at the Crowder's house for the freshmen. Uh-huh. And I was at the church because I love Crowder. All of a sudden, I'm in Crowder's house welcoming people to the church. And I've been going to the church for three weeks. <laughs> like, I own the place. And that night, I met uh, Craig Nash. Oh, my gosh. You just listed so many, like... Yeah, and then I met Jen Lake that night. I'd already known of Kyle, I suppose. Yeah. But um, talked to Kyle about his book he was writing on God's Will, because I'd just come from Bethel. I knew Greg Boyd. Uh-huh. And he writes, of course, about Providence in the future. Right. And then, um, of course, not Jen uh, Jen and Harris got married later in life. Yeah. And so, anyways, Harris, uh, very dear to my heart. Also, like, the first week I went to Frisbee, I remember him and Blair Browning meeting them. Here's oh. what Harris had to say. By the way, uh, has a PhD in philosophy from Texas A&M, so by no means a dum-dum. No, so this yeah. this might be our highest brow review. Wow. He says, okay, so we all love Dax and Monica over at Armchair Expert. Mm-hmm. So imagine that, but without Miniature Mouse, though Taylor is arguably just as smart and wise. Oh, my gosh. Without Dax, though Carney is arguably just as handsome and wise. Mm. And with more spiritual and religious sensitivity, and you will have it was either this or... I'm a huge fan. I love getting to hear smart people talk about faith, religion, ethics, and politics. Much love from your neighbors in College Station. Wow. My goodness, Harris. You just won. That's so kind. For 15 days. For 15 so, days. I renew if you longer <laughs> write for another me. review if you want more affection. <laughs> Anyone. So, this is a uh, not so humble call for our millions of listeners to review and rate <laughs> us so that we can surpass Smart List, Kona Needs a Friend. Armchair experts, all those murder mystery podcasts, yeah. and uh, be the real winner. Okay, Taylor, I have one thing left to talk about, unless you have some things to talk about, and I'm saving it to the end. So if you have other things, bring them up, please, now. Oh, um, okay. Well, my house is being inspected right now. As we speak. So we are just really moving along in the house spying endeavor. Um, I hope it works out. I'm very excited. Um, just want to keep you guys updated. They appreciate it. And I did have someone, uh, Megan Glover, text me this week and said she was listening. She was like, so exciting. You're buying a house. So Megan Glover. She's great. She's the best. Um, Well, yeah. So it's being inspected. Yeah, it is. When's your closing date? Did you say that already? Um, uh, Mid-December. That's going to be awesome. December, I think, 16th or 17th. So you're going to be a house owner by Christmas. You're going to put decorations on your house. Isn't that for the insane? Yuletide. That's so crazy and so cool. Yeah. I'm so excited about Everybody's, it. Marty's excited. Marty is excited. Uh, okay, Taylor. Yeah. Um, I really, I want to start working on my Moira Rose impression. Oh my gosh. She's harder though. I mean, I can't do a feminine voice. I don't think you need to do that, but it's more the enunciation. Yeah. Her vocabulary, her, whoever writes her. Just astounding. I was watching um, Home Alone last night. Oh, yeah. you know, I I, I for, she's so good at Moira Rose. I forget that she's actually <laughs> that she can be like a normal Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, exactly. I don't know who that is anymore. Um, yeah, I don't know if I could do a good Moira Rose. Well, like I said, I can't get close to think, but it's more the you know the dragging out certain vowels and yeah. I was trying to do uh, what about the bebe? Yeah, <laughs> I was. Uh, Doing Moira Rose uh, commentating the Packers game in the shower oh. just for fun. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is such a gridiron champion. He just throws the ball all around the field in such a nice way. Don't you think, Johnny? That was close. Think, you know, you just got to gotta drag him out. You never come off the bottom of the mouth. Yeah. Roof of the palate. So, 
I'm, I'm working on it. Okay. Last things last. Okay. Um, you listened to our podcast <laughs> last week. Yeah, I did. And you texted me. I did. <laughs> unsolicited. <laughs> I did. And said, I'm listening to the podcast right now. <laughs> you interrupt me a lot. <laughs> and then and then you said, and I really um, disagree with you. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's evident to you in a way now listening to the podcast and in the real moment when we said these things out loud to each other. Yeah. Well, first of all, I do think here we can take a quick Enneagram moment. Um, I have to be alone <laughs> to know if I disagree with someone because oh, because you don't want to hurt. If I'm with you, I am compelled by you and our friendship. Do you know what I, I am mean? Christ compelled by Christ compelled by Christ. And uh, so, um, I do think uh, it is. I mean, that's the thing I work on. A thing I'm trying to be better at is like being able to check in with myself when I'm with another person, but it does take, uh, it does take time. And also it wasn't so much. I disagreed with you. Um, as much as no, no, it is, uh, as much as like, I I think I was trying to say like, um, I think we just disagree about where for me, like the point of like, I'm not going to pursue unity over justice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that maybe in the moment, cause it is like, I do want to pursue unity, but also it's like, um, I'm not, I guess this is it. I saw a tweet the other day that said like, there is no unity to be pursued with people who think Kyle Rittenhouse is a hero. Yeah, that, by the way, is just especially ugly to me. I, I cannot get that out of my head. Right. Um, and when there, I, I saw a representative, I didn't know who she was, but somebody said Kyle Rittenhouse for Congress. Yeah. And I just thought, my God, what schmidgen of a value are you trying to hold up in, in suggesting this? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and you know, I we said we should talk about this again after the inauguration and let it settle. The more I thought about it too, I thought, well, there, I, again, there's nothing I disagreed with in terms of the content of what we want to stand no. for justice for. Yeah. It's just whether or not I'm going to let my, in my own heart and head, prioritize my pragmatism to say, we need to do this to get things done. Um, and I, you know, I think I could get to be talked into disagreeing with myself. Well, um, and I think, I don't really know that, um, I don't even know that it's disagreement. It's just prioritization. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, um, but it's like, I do think, well, some of it is also in listening to it. You kept like making the argument, like, what if you don't like, we don't pursue unity with these people. And it's like, and then in four years we get a repeat of this sort of political cycle. And, um, I, you know, one of the driving questions of my life is like, what is mine to do? And it's like, that doesn't feel like it's mine to do. I'm not a political operative. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it, it to me, what it feels like is mine to do is to like pursue justice in kind, in kindness. Do you know what I mean? Some like a six, eight. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for listeners, this is not the topic for today. We're just no. finishing a little bit. Uh, I do want to <laughs> take separately, unless you want to keep talking. No. Well, this. I don't know. Well, I, I thought, my guess was that um, I, th I also concluded that I had interrupted you more than I think is typical for me to do in a, a setting. 
And so I thought, gosh, there's probably empathetic listeners who were equally frustrated by that. Um, so I, I, I plan just to kind of listen to you yell at me for that this today. <laughs> um, well, I did. I just um, in listening, I think I heard a number of times I heard myself. And then, well, and, you know, it's hard because like a conversation is like that happens in a conversation. Sometimes somebody gets cut off. Do you know what I mean? I think the thing that made me note it was that I heard myself a number of times not be able to get to the point that I was trying to make because you interrupted me and took us in a different direction. And I think that was the thing that I, which is like, you know, it's all part of a conversation, but I think that was the thing that I, um, that seemed to stand out to me was the, the number of times I was not able to make a point because you took us in a different direction. Well, Taylor, I'm sorry I did that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I do think, like I said, I do think that, um, well, and as we've noted just multiple times at this point, like, you know, we're friends. We talk about this stuff all the time. And so I do think that that, you know. Yeah, full disclosure, I'm rehearsing pushing us to have this particular conversation, not because I suspect you're waiting around for me to apologize, but because I want our listeners to be able to hear your frustration. And like I said, I think probably some of them shared it in listening. Yeah. And to have, Maybe. get them to feel this on the other side. Um, but also apologize sincerely for interrupting you so frequently. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, well, um, yeah. And you know what? Like I, uh, of course, when you, as you said, this is very conversational what we do. But when you know there's a third party privy to it, it also changes the way you process it, I think. Yeah. And so um, I thought it was important to include listeners on in this part of the conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, especially because we just value you guys a lot. We're thankful for the feedback we get from all of you. Yes, um, that is true. And I think we do, yeah, sort of think of you guys as a sort of third conversational partner. Well, thanks for doing that with me, Taylor. We need to now take a break and get a word from our sponsors. Woohoo. Taylor, I love podcasts. Ooh, Addicted yeah. to them. T- talk shows, sports radio, it was either this or among my favorites. <laughs> love them all. But I, can I tell you about a travesty that sometimes happens in my life? Yes, please. I get in my car and I have forgotten my headphones. Oh, no. Well, guess what? That's not a problem when I'm in Waco because I can always tune into KWBU, Waco's NPR affiliate. Yeah. KWBU has all the scrumptious national programs like Fresh Air, Morning Edition, All Things Considered, Weekend Gems like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Travel with Rick Steve, Splendid Table, mm-hmm. and the Ted Radio Hour. Yeah. But honestly, Taylor, I can get those anywhere. You know what? I can only get right here in Central Texas. What? Great statewide programs like Texas Standard and Texas Matters. Wow. And great Waco programs like Downtown Depot and Conversations with Creative Waco. Yeah. So if you want to hear great radio from great personalities with names like Argyle Von Vanderbergen and Jasada Skignano, tune in to KWBU at 1033 on your FM dial. That's 103.3 on your FM dial. Yeah, I think that's good because I don't think you're supposed to wear headphones in your car. Taylor, sometimes I open up my refrigerator to prepare a lunch and guess what I discover? What? I'm out of food. Oh, no. Shoot, what will I do? 
I don't know. I know. I'll hop on my scooter and get a to-go sandwich from the World Cup Cafe. Yeah. My absolute favorite is their chicken salad and sourdough. It's so filling. I can barely eat dinner. I love their chicken salad, too. Wait, World Cup Cafe has one of the most delectable breakfast and lunch menus in the greater Waco area. Mm-hmm. And I promise you their fountain Dr. Pepper is the best. I promise. Ooh. But you know what? Patrons of the World Cup Cafe can now kill two birds with one stone How? because while you're waiting for your food, you can head into the back and do some Christmas shopping for some one-of-a-kind handcrafted fair trade products and support livable wages for business folks in economically disadvantaged countries. Wow. So now you're a triple winner in your tummy and social justice and in your loved one's Christmas stocking. Woo-hoo. So don't waste any more time or calories on second-rate food at marginal fast food chains. Head to the World Cup Cafe at 1321 Colcord Avenue or call in your order at 254-757-1748. That's 254-757-1748. Go there now. Oh, Tannenbaum. <laughs> Oh, Tannenbaum. Do you know what that's German for? Oh, Christmas tree. Yeah, that was Christmas tree. That's how the Germans say it. Tannenbaum. Uh, I spent a lot of college studying German. I did three years in high school. We loved it. I didn't study it as a language. I had to study it because um, I was a music major. So I had to like sing in German a lot. Wagner? Yes, yeah. Wagner. Any other German composers I should know? Tchaikovsky's uh, Russian, right? He's my yeah, favorite. Yeah, he's Russian. Oh. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Is he? Got like a, a lingering um, Schwarzenegger yeah, thing in there, some Schwarzenegger but that's vibes. close to Germany, right? Was Mozart German? Uh, what a great question! Hey, I it's got a joke for you. Speaking like, of Schwarzenegger, totally relevant. I <laughs> cut you off. Go ahead. We just talked about this. <laughs> it's like uh, uh, I've I've purged just like almost all of that information from my brain, so I don't know where Mozart's from. I actually think he's Austrian. Well, um, who is Mozart? Well, that's freaking perfect because i just did schwarzenegger oh great yeah yeah okay now we're back we had a microphone snafu and it's so it's too bad because we had such a great epic podcast moment that didn't <laughs> yeah i told my joke we did it won't land the same way now because we laughed really hard yeah we so hard your cord came unplugged yeah and we lost the vocals that's true it was a really funny joke yeah, i bet the listeners are dying to hear the joke yeah we should still okay. tell them taylor did you hear about the new movie about the composers i didn't hear about it's this got movie. tom hanks it's got Sylvester Stallone and it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, so those are three big names. Well, they broke the bank for this one. So in this um, this movie, Tom Hanks is going to play Wagner. Uh-huh. And then um, Stallone's going to play Mozart. Uh-huh. And then they were trying to find somebody for Bach, and they called up Schwarzenegger, and he said, I'll be Bach. <laughs> Well, thank, that was a great genuine laugh again. Thank you. It's funny. I just thought the joke was so great. I and still it think it's everything so we're trying to do. <laughs> Well, God bless composers and Austrians and whatnot. Yeah. So you did German that way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, listeners, thanks for tuning back in. Um, we hope you enjoyed those commercials. Yeah. We um, we were talking last week. We we had the most fun reviewing number one hits. <laughs> we did. From the 2000s. We did. So I texted Taylor in the middle of the leadership team meeting this week at church. <laughs> I said, hey, I have a new idea for the podcast. You Let's did. do a participatory piece every week. Where listeners can be like, oh, I'll play along in my head. Yeah. So I came up with a little quiz for you. It's okay. my turn this week. I'm nervous. The quiz is three words describe a book. Okay. I'm going to say the words. You have to tell me the book. Now, if you do this online, you only get like so many minutes. Okay. Um, so try and be brief. If not, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Do, 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 do. Three words for a book. Okay. That's our intro music. Should right. I guess after each word? Yes. Okay. All right, I'm going to skip the first one and give you the second one so you can get a hang for it because I think it's a little more obvious. Okay. Paris, Belle, Deformed. Wait, those are all 
the words. Yeah, then what book is it describing? The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, okay, here's the first one. Dystopian double-think rats. I didn't get this one. Rats? Yep. Dystopian. You got a lot of these, so I'll try and pound them out. Just say I don't know. If you 1984. Know. Boom, boom, boom. Nah. Nice job, Post. Thank you. All right, Boys Stranded Conch. Um. Oh, what is it? The one? Yeah, the you one. The one about the boy. Piggy, piggy. I know. Um, okay. Every ninth grader read it. The, it's not Heart of Darkness. And it's not Lord of the Rings. And it's not Lord of the Rings. It's Lord of the Flies. Yes. Okay. okay. I've not read this book, but I know the premise. Okay. Professor Underage Girl. <gasps> oh, gosh. It's terrible. If you read this, you're slimy. I haven't Lolita. read it. Lolita. Lolita. Okay. You can get this one. Farmer's Depression Dust. Um, Of Mice and Men? No. no. Let me try again. Farmer's Depression Dust. Dust Bowl, California. Oh, yeah. I can't think of it. Heard it through the The grapes of wrath. Yes. All right. Wealth bootlegging obsessed. (gasps) Wealth bootlegging obsessed. I don't know. I'll give you a hint. Leonardo DiCaprio is a meme holding up a glass of champagne. Oh, The Great Gatsby. Yes. Oh, that makes sense. All right. River Slave, Mississippi. Uh, Huck Finn. Yes. Man, vermin, transformation. I mean, that's the whole story. Vermin transformation. Somebody turns into a rat. A uh, vermin. I think he's like a bug. Oh, um, I don't, I've read it. It's a short story. It's like it's a novella, forty-five pages. I think it. I don't. I can't. Metamorphosis. Think. Oh it's yeah. Kafka. All right. Kafka. Transylvania vampire steak. Dracula. Spider pig death. Charlotte's Web. Grail mystery crypt text. Oh. It was a movie. Tom Hanks. Oh um. Yep, you got it. No. I can see the bells going off. <laughs> I know the movie. Uh, also, Ian, what's his name? He's the bad guy. I can't think of it because I'm also thinking of the Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, well, those are um, those are the National Treasure movies. Angels and Demons was yes, the second one. Yes, that's the one. second one. Yep, so that was written by Dan Brown, who also wrote. <laughs> Not Michelangelo Code. <laughs> the Da Vinci Code. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Uh, here's the best book maybe written that's not fantasy. Race, Lawyer, Maycomb. Oh, um... Uh, something about a bird. <laughs> yep, something about a bird. We're going to take it. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, um, scout. Yep, to live a to live a blue jay. To live a blue jay. To to die a mockingbird. Close enough. We'll take it. <laughs> what is it? To say? kill a mockingbird. To kill a mockingbird. Thank All you. All right. Uh, more recent districts lottery tributes. Oh, the Hunger Games. Firemen burning books. Fahrenheit forty nine. Yep, that's, that's what they burn at books at forty nine degrees. <laughs> Four. Four fifty one. <laughs> I knew there was a four. Puritan adultery shame. The Scarlet Letter. Ding ding ding. All right. Shark tourist <laughs> eats. Um. I didn't know it was a book to be honest. Jaws. Yes. Okay. South Terra Confederate. I only saw this movie thirty eight times when I was a kid because my sister rented it from the library every week. South Terra Confederate. Maybe the first color best picture winner. Gone with the wind. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Uh, this is one I only got the second time. Bird. Oh, Tara. I was thinking Tara, T-E-R-R-A. Oh, I'm sorry. No, sorry. T-A-R-A. Right. Bird statuette detective. I've not read this. Bird statuette detective. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Sherlock Holmes? The Atlanta football team is called the? The Hawks. Well, the, the football team, though. Oh, we were just talking about the football team. The Falcons. Yep. The Maltese Falcon. The Maltese okay. Prisoner Asylum Faking. Faking. Prisoner Asylum Faking. 
I'm going to go with Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. That's close. <laughs> One who flew over the cuckoo's nest. One who flew over the cuckoo's Okay. Wager circumnavigate London. Wager? Yeah, this is... I didn't read the book. I've seen both of the movies. There was an old one. There's a, a remake about 15 years ago. So like a bet. Think Hot Air Balloon. Oh, uh-huh. I don't know the name. Though. Around the World. In 100 Days? 80. 80, 80 days. days. Okay. Boy Forever Pirates. Peter Pan. Orphan Workhouse Pickpocket. Oh, gosh. Annie? Uh, Close. Wait, no. Um. Think, think Dickens. Yeah. Um. Not Dave Copperfield, but... <laughs> No, Ollie Twist. Your clues don't help. Me. Yeah, there's such good clues I give you. <laughs> okay, here's one. Okay. Um, think Maine. Hotel Insane Topiary. I don't know if I said that right. Topiary. Topiary. Um, I've not seen it or read it. Uh huh. The one that's so scary yep. and he's breaking through the door and, and think of those it's twins called, in the hallway. Uh huh. And there's uh, some mm-hmm. tricycles and I, Jack Nicholson and yes. I don't I can't think of the name The Shining The Shining okay Boy Lifeboat Tiger <gasps> The Life of Pi this one the next one I didn't get when I took the quiz okay. Rabbits Warren Does um oh my gosh I was just talking about this book you sure yes alright Watership Down woohoo yeah alright Soviet Submarine Defector oh gosh I don't know uh think Sean Connery Sean Connery Sean Connery R.I.P. there you go um, film version. No, I don't know. I don't There's know. There's the hunt for Red October. The hunt for Red October. Okay. Uh, dinosaur clone attraction. Jurassic Park. Yes, we have three left. Physician okay. Russia romance. Um. Two of like so. Anna Karen and Anna. Well, good guess. Uh, physician. Another name for that is a doctor. Yep. Second. Doctor Javago. Okay. Nanny Umbrella Fly. Mary Poppins. And then. Um, the last one here, violence, NADSAT, drugs. <laughs> what were those last words? NADSAT, N-A-D-S-A-T, NADSAT, uh-huh. drugs. Drugs? Yeah, think Stanley Kubrick. Oh, uh, uh, Clockwork Orange? Ding, 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 ding. You did it, Taylor. You did it yeah. really good. I Did I? I well, know thanks for I tuning did. in to my three words literary quiz. I'm so excited to see what you bring me next week. Wow, uh, that was exciting. Well, listeners, give us some feedback on the um, the quiz section. See if you enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, let us know uh, if you We'll be back it. in just a minute with our magical mystery guest to talk about hell. Woohoo! Taylor, can I tell you about a big purchase that I'm in the middle of making? Yes, please. I am buying a salsa timber jack mountain bike oh wow i say in the middle because i put a down payment on but you want to know what they're all out of mountain bikes all across the country is it because in this quarantine a, people this were like this is a covid thing so guess wow. what i've done what I put my money down at the bear mountain because i trust the customer service and that they'll make good on their promise to get me a bike in 2021 yes they will so for the best mountain bikes kayaks outdoor equipment camping gear patagonia gear whatever your outdoor heart can imagine yeah we suggest you go to the bear mountain at 4425 west waco drive that's the bear mountain at 4425 west waco drive Uh, or give them a call to check in and see if they've got your chacos or Solomon running shoes or whatever else your heart might desire at 254-772-4327. That's 254-772-4327. Woohoo! All right, we're back, and we are here with Dr. Joseph Lehman. Joseph, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you. It's really good to be here. You are a doctor, correct? I got my PhD in August of 2019. And what's your um, field? I mean, we know, but the audience doesn't. Yeah, I got my PhD at Baylor in psychology and neuroscience with a specialization in social psychology. Uh, a real idiot on our hands today. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Joseph, we've asked you here for a specific project that we're going to get to in a second. But before we do that, can you narrate for us a little bit about your how you've held your own faith journey and how you would describe that, key points, low points, where you are now, et cetera? Well, um, you're going to have to tell me when to stop on this one because I've uh, had a really long and winding path. I grew up in central Illinois in a really fundamentalist community. I later learned who hold this community holds the high score for measures of religious fundamentalism that exist in the literature. So yeah, we, we high scored it. Um, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking, um, uh, women wear head coverings, um, plain clothes, um, no participation in the military, near not in high school sports, uh, a lot of just very cloistered, insular type of environment. So is this a, uh, what do you call it? It's like the, who writes the, uh, the branch of this kind of thing? The Amish, the Mennonite. Yeah, I always refer, kind of think of them as neo-Amish. It's like imagine the um, Amish theology without like the technological restrictions, so to speak. Although okay. there was, we weren't supposed to have TV or anything like that, but we had electricity. So okay, um, okay. So I basically had a crisis of faith when I went into college and in my upper level classes took philosophy electives. Um, I basically just could not reconcile any of the learning that I was getting with fundamentalism. This is Illinois State or East Illinois? Illinois State, yep, very good. Uh, you really did read the resume. <laughs> I did read the resume, the CV. Um, and so um, I just really had a huge crisis because I couldn't reconcile what I was taught about, you know, um, God creating the world 6,000 years ago and all of those kinds of things. Because you were a biology major. I was a biology major. I was supposed to go to veterinary um, school and then – learned that you mostly end up putting animals to sleep and mm. decided to mm-hmm. go somewhere else. So I got a, a master's in biology and specialized in evolutionary biology. And so obviously there's a lot of conflicting elements there when you're studying something critically and from an empirical perspective. And how do you, you know, I couldn't, I just reached the point where I thought that going to the church that I raised in would make me hypocritical, try to share. I just felt like I reached a point where I couldn't share um, in a faith community where um, I knew what they believed was different than what I was learning on an empirical sense. And so um, I just removed myself from that process or removed myself from that community. Um, How involved were your parents in the, like, knowing what was going on in your life? Uh, not involved at all. I mean, everyone was extremely sad. I had cousins telling me I was going to hell. I was supposed to go through an excommunication process. Um, oh, but I kind of just disappeared. Like a Ramspring, I think, huh? Uh, well, yeah. Is that what that's called? No, well, Ramspring is when you, you come back from Ramspring. Yeah, yeah, you go out and sow your wild oats. Oh, this is like a permanent um, this Ramspring is like, for you. This is, I think I, I, w- I attended an excommunication ceremony once in the Apostolic Church where... Wait, was, what? did you say what denomination this is called? Sorry, yes. Apostolic Christian Church. It's not really... There's like 12,000 members across the United States. I love when churches name their churches something like that. Like yeah. Church of Christ, Apostolic Church, the one true church, Assembly of God, hmm. Baptist, you know? We got a, a mid-level guy that died halfway through the first gospel. So <laughs> could be better marketing for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember one of the excommunication ceremonies was like, "We remove your name from the book of life and all this other." Wow. Stuff. Yeah, so it was really hard. They get to do that. Yeah, and I didn't want to put my family through that, so I was just like, um, "I'm like not sure which uh, physical location I'm going to anymore." So the elder, who's the head of each church, like no one knew who was responsible for excommunicating me, so I just kind of like. Yeah. Oh, that was very smart. Yeah. Well, avoidance of Is your family again. still part of the Apostolic Church? They are, and we have gone through a beautiful reconciliation process. I'd say we're closer than ever to the members of my wow, family. Wow, that's great. We love each other. Um, uh, we just don't talk about certain things. Like, I think once I started to kind of come back to church, like okay. when, when I married uh, my wife, who's a senior pastor and a uh, seminary trained person, um, I think they, they thought I was coming back a little bit more, and they tried to invite me to go to the 
Young Earth Creation Museum. I was like, oh heck no, yeah. no, you don't want me there. I will, not, I will be, I will be throwing things at the wall. That's not the vibe of what's going on right now. No, just no, no. knowing a little bit about Lily. I mean, gosh, I wish I could be a fly on the wall on like Thanksgiving if you're able to meet this year. Or something. <laughs> yeah, um, she's she's really good about being careful, but she also is very strong, um, a strong-minded person. And um, fortunately, she's been really well trained in like how to like. And my family will ask her things like, how do you reconcile being a woman pastor with these verses that say women shouldn't teach? And she, she gives really good answers. Um, yeah, she's a sharp. She's really, woman. really sharp. Smart, well, sharper than me. And she's so gracious, too. Lily's yeah. just really great, you know? Yeah. We could probably do a whole podcast on how great Lily is. I, I would be down with that. Um, <laughs> do you, you have siblings? I'm the oldest of seven. So are there other black sheep in your family? No. Um, oh, you're the sole uh, wanderer, huh? Yeah, all the other ones have repented and been baptized, except for the youngest, who's only 18 and has got time to do that. So. Okay. When do you got to get that done by? Uh, there's no definitive date, but um, like I was a really precocious. I, I joined when I was 12, which is like an outlier on the other side of things. Okay. But um, usually people do it by like 16 to 20. Okay, so you, you, were a, you got a master's in biology. Obviously, you're kind of on your way out in terms of your uh, – epistemic commitments to the, the organization you came from but where um where like how did that continue to evolve did you leave church altogether for a period or you know, it's really nice i'm having to answer these questions to you now josh i've had to answer them to a baylor hiring committee once and it was much less fun <laughs> okay like, where did you land spiritually like dude i don't even know how to talk to you but uh, I, I think i can to you i, I was pretty much at, a, at an agnostic atheistic standpoint I remember trying to find a church. I went to the Unitarians for a while. I even taught Sunday school for a little bit there. Is this in Waco or is this? This was in uh, the Quad Cities in Davenport. Oh yeah, what yeah. what program were you doing there? The uh, like middle aged children. Like no, no, I mean, schools. why were you in Davenport? Oh, I was uh, at my first appointment um, after my master's degree. Okay. As a uh, like a administrator faculty person at Augustana College. Oh, Augustana. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, God, you're from the Midwest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I got excited when you said the Quad Cities. Yeah, I was uh, in a wedding down there. Yeah, I don't. There. I don't know what that is. What is the Quad? It's Cities? right. It's on the border of Iowa and Illinois. There's some good casinos on the river there. You can oh, good. Spend big money. That's why I remember it. <laughs> There's four cities on the just right, divided by the Mississippi. Sure. So okay. Yeah. Uh, after that, I, I left Augustana because I wanted to get a PhD, um, but my background was in biology, and I wanted to switch to psychology. So I needed to go get another master's. It seemed like. Um, so I went to Villanova University. Yeah, I saw that. They're Catholic, right? Yeah, they're Catholic, but they were really... I mean, it's just, it's a it's, university. Yeah. And that's up by Philly? Yeah, it's, it's in northern okay. Philly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Did they win any national championships while you were there, or were you there before that? No, I was there before that. Okay, so I, it was kind of cool to see them win recently. Yeah. I was like, hey, I know those. Right. <laughs> but I was like Villanova when I was a kid. It sounded like vanilla, and I liked vanilla. <laughs> vanilla Nova. Very strange. Well, actually, people call it that. Sometimes to mock it for its lack of diversity. Oh, Villanova. I can imagine. Yeah. Big money. Yeah. So then you headed down south to Baylor, took your talents to Waco, huh? I did. I was getting more and more interested in the psychology of religion. And the standard joke amongst um, psychologists is that we engage in lots of me search. We try to, like, find topics that we can investigate empirically that, like, help us answer some own personal question. Mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of people, it's really healthy. Like, you know, they have a family member that suffers from some mental health illness and they want to figure out how to, like, you know, help that. Yeah. Um, and for me, I was just interested in, like, why do people believe the things they do? Why do people believe things, like, without that much evidence? Or why, why are they biased against certain things? Um, and there's a professor here at Baylor, Wade Rowett, um, who specializes in that. And there's not a lot of people in the United States that do. It's not super popular academically to study something like religion for lots of reasons. Uh-huh. Um, 
but Wade does, and he was a very good mentor to me, and we investigated a number of things. Um, for this particular project, uh, this was one I kind of did on my own with a postdoc that works at Baylor in something called the Institute for Religious um, Study, which is a small think tank. At Wait, Baylor. are you getting to the thing while we've had you on now, when you say this project? Yeah. Okay. So can I just intro it? Please, please, please. Okay, so we asked Joseph to come on, and now I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Um, your, your wife, we were in a group together on um, for the, the artist way. I re- reference Julia Cameron all the time. And um, she had mentioned you did this project. So the name of the project is, you wrote it with, um, it says S. Cranny. What's S's first name? Stephen. Stephen Cranny. Does he have his PhD done now as well? Yep. Okay, Dr. Stephen Cranny and Dr. Joseph Lehman wrote, in 2018, Hell, Anxiety as Non-Pathological Fear. It's in Mental Health, Religion, and Culture. If you want to read it, it's 17 pages. Uh, I've scanned it, but I've saved my questions because we have you in the flesh today. So yeah. um, just in three sentences, what did the paper look at? We looked at uh, the correlation of people's belief or um, anxiety about hell and how that might be related to other mental health aspects, like how anxious are they, um, does this cause any problems with their mental health, um, is fear of hell related to people's underlying sort of neurological predispositions to be fearful in general, um, and what sorts of other factors are correlated with being afraid of hell. Okay, so if you're comfortable, I want you to out yourself. Can you give us a sketch of your own thoughts on hell? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think a fear of hell is one of the primary reasons I joined the church when I was 12, because, I mean, as a young kid, people tell you about this physical place of torment that goes on forever, and you just, like... I was thinking about it as a 12 year old. I'm like, I really don't want to go there. I think I better do something about this. So that was a huge motivating factor for me. I remember um, as after I became a member in the church, like maybe in late high school, I remember reading um, some apologetics that um, started to sort of deconstruct that maybe this the idea of hell didn't necessarily need to be a physical hell and there could be other ways of looking at it. And I thought that made a lot more sense. Mm. Um, and I wasn't ready to sort of like go around telling all my other apostolic brothers and sisters that, you know, hey, we don't have to think of hell this way. But I, I was losing that sort of like physical fundamentalist commitment to hell in, say, in high school. And then I, I personally think the best description of hell I've ever come across, or at least the most useful one for a believer, is C.S. Lewis's um, depiction in The Great Divide where hell is more of a separation between you and God that you impose upon yourself because of your own limitations mm-hmm. and ability mm-hmm. to... Um, to be in unity with God. And I think that's really compelling. I think that makes the most sense personally in my life. Um, I think the idea of a physical hell um, is maybe incoherent and possibly monstrous, but um, but we don't really do any of those distinctions in the paper. Those are just my personal thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, and I figure I just wondered kind of what perspective you're writing. Sure, from. sure. Great, great divorce, great book, by the way. I'm glad that you, you mentioned that. I had wondered... Um, have you ever seen the movie What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams? Absolutely. I love that movie. That I can't a, believe it's not a bigger deal. That is another excellent de- depiction of the afterlife, I, I think. I think so. Have you seen it? Wait, with Robin Williams? Yes. Yeah. No, I've never seen it. I've never so, heard of it. Listener, go rent the movie right now. I'll pay for you back on iTunes if you have to do it. It's fan- And there's that scene, if I remember, where he goes and gets his wife. Yes. And it's dangerous because he has a time limit, and I don't want to give it away. But to me, that was like, oh, that's it. Yeah. That's the thing. And she's basically self-imprisoned. Lewis has that famous line, hell's locked from the inside. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. And, and that is a different, more, I think, elegant way to just say it so succinctly. But, okay, continue. So you guys do this project. You have your own kind of church torment coming into this as a 12-year-old. Um, yeah, and I should mention, so did my co-author. Uh, Stephen Cranny is a Mormon, 
um, oh. and, and was raised uh, similar to me in the more fundamentalist um, background, but is now a sociology of religion professor. And so it was kind of, I, I don't, I think he's, his trajectory is uh, similar to mine in that sense. I don't know if he'd make exactly the same philosophical metaphysical claims, but um, we both had that background of like being raised as this hell concept is really scary. And you, maybe it does something this pe- to people's like mental health to think about hell. Yeah. So give us a rough sketch of what you found, found out about people. Well, we've, we kind of hypothesized in the beginning that um, hell would make, or a belief in hell would make people really afraid, and this might lead to some um, neuroticism and other things like that, like maybe some phobias, if you will. Uh, we ended up finding that it's really, like, how much someone believes in hell, and even in, like how they characterize, characterize hell doesn't really relate to whether or not they're going to be anxious about hell it's really whether they think that they have a probability of going there or whether they don't believe in freedom of will very much in other words if they don't think they have control over whether they might end up held then they might have a little bit more anxiety but basically we found that um if you have a theological belief in hell you probably have done something theologically to lower the possibility that you're going to go to hell which means that you've already sort of dealt with the potential anxiety in your head, and so you don't have as much of it to begin with. So is the, a different way to say it, people have a more robust belief in hell if they have a reason to believe they're not going to be there? Yes. Okay. Yes. Or I wonder if there was any correlation between them thinking that other people were going to be going to hell. Um, actually, we, we actually tested that to see. We, at one of the items we asked was, like, what percentage of the world's population do you believe is going to hell? Um, and we didn't see any correlation with that belief in any any anything else. Okay. But, but that was something we were curious about. Too. Yeah. Can you give us a rough sample? I mean, obviously, this is all done in print, I'm assuming, with over gathering data over the Internet and stuff. But could you, like, as a social scientist, just with me and Taylor real quick, ask us sure. a few questions to help us determine how scared of hell we are? <gasps> I will give you the nine items that we ended up landing on. I mean, oh, this we, is so much fun. We I went, know. I'm so excited. <laughs> we went through this big process. When you, when you um, make a scale... Uh, there are a bunch of rules and stuff you have to follow. Um, and so we did, we generated like 40 items. Okay. And then through statistical analysis, we narrowed those down to the best fitting items with math. And so these are the nine items we signed on. Yep. Ready? Yep. Okay. Wait, also, this is very interesting because we were talking in staff meeting earlier about talking to you. <laughs> and everyone was like so interested. And we talked about, I think we should say, we talked about how, like, the anxiety we felt around hell. We, like, gave it a number. Right? You were still there when we were talking about that, yeah. right? So I think we should say beforehand what we th- what we thought and then like – Okay, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we had different scales. Yours was out of 1,000 and mine was out of 10. So you go ahead, no, Taylor. I ended I'm up, sensing psychometric problems. I ended up, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not how actually it should work out. No, I ended up saying like 2 per, – two, or yeah, 2 – Percent? No, twenty. No, you, you weren't even at one. You were point eight five of one percent. Well, that's what that you was. You said eight point five out of a thousand. I know, but that was like mostly a joke. Out of ten, I think it's like a two. I was so like twenty percent. Okay, I'm I'm four out of ten on hell. Yeah. So you so you feel like sort of halfway in the spectrum of anxiousness about hell. Well, um, I mean to unpack this, it feels vulnerable, but I have to give my own theological thing on it. But I'll just let's just give them the data for now and see how we shape up against the the actual data. Okay. Yeah, but I feel yeah. So two, tw- two, two and a four. Two and a four. It's more. It's twice as likely that I'm going to hell than Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's twice as likely that you're more anxious about it. I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well. Because well, but as you said, that might be indicative of, uh, you know. No, but it's like then you've done something to make yourself 
not go well, to hell. Taylor, you're a better person. Than no, me. I think Aww. I think I think it means you're a better person than no, I am. You're less scared of hell. You have less reason to believe you're going to be there. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't. Well, I don't, I don't know if he's if you're a better person. I'm, I'm trying, not. I'm to I know that's nice. I, I appreciate it, but okay. So yes, yeah, so this is actually good that we're talking about this. Um, so there is a separate questions about uh, do you believe you're going to hell? Like the probability, like you rate the probability you're going to hell. And then these items that I'm going to ask you, these nine questions are uh, to, meant to gauge your overall anxiety. Like right. how worried are you about going to hell? Okay. Okay, okay. that's helpful. And then uh, and then apart from that, we also ask like you know what do you how do you envision hell? Do you envision it being a place of torment, physical suffering? Does it last forever? Because those things will probably matter to you, right? Right. Okay. Um, item one. Uh, indicate how much this statement applies from you. One, not at all. Five, very much. Okay. Sometimes I feel like I can't stop thinking about hell. Is one a lot and five not at all? Other way around. Okay. I'm going to go with two. Sometimes I feel like I can't stop thinking about hell. Uh, one. Good. That, that's what I would do. That would match the data. 20% yeah. and 20%. <laughs> that's true. Okay, Adam two, sometimes it's difficult to control my worry about hell. One. One. Good, good. Uh, I wonder if I'm on the pathway to hell. Oh, four. <laughs> One. Okay. Josh, you scream like highway to hell. Yeah, you know? <laughs> the, the, all of a sudden ACDC was in my <laughs> Okay, uh, the, the possibility of going to hell is often in the back of my mind. Of me going? Three. Yeah. Again, one. Okay, good. I'm maybe less concerned than I gave my, than I. Yeah, that, I think that's helpful. That point eight five percent starting to look really. <laughs> yeah, more like <laughs> it. Yeah. I feel an intense fear of hell when I do something I'm not supposed to do. Ah, uh, one. Oh, you're very. Uh... Okay. Good. Well, it's because of my conception of hell. It's oh, okay. That, okay. I, I one time got a, a call from a religious fundamentalist at the church here who was upset that I, that I didn't like John Piper, but I worked with David Crowder. And I find the thing that finally got off the, him off the phone is I said, look, here's the difference between me and you. You think God's sending people to hell, and I think we're sending ourselves to hell. Nice. So that's why I'm answering these questions kind of as a, I'm worried about me. Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, yeah. a, that's a bit of a theological commentary on the thing. Sure. It's like, what have I internalized and hit the repeat button on and developed as a kind of systemic thought process that will enslave me? Not yeah, not so much like a one a one time thing I did or whatever. Yeah, so that's why it's easy. Like I, I believe the whole grace thing, like right, perpetuary. It's a deep psychological need that we got solved in the first century, taken care of. Okay. And you were very confident that you haven't been engaging in any repetitive actions or whatever that would maybe lead you down to hell. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, you said who's one, in charge here. So. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't. I think the grace thing works. Okay. If if it's up to God, I'm good. Cool. Yes, I would also say one. Uh, I'm fearful when ministers and other religious authorities talk about hell. Oh my gosh. Woo. Especially me. When other people talk about hell? Yeah. yeah. Like if you're listening. If I heard a sermon. Right. Yeah. Mm. Two. Uh, zero. One, zero. <laughs> nice. One, I guess is really. You guys are definitely not the people who we targeted. That question, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm often concerned that I may be deceived and end up in hell. Woo. Uh, I would say like a two probably for me. Oh, okay. I'll say two since you said two. Okay. I don't know I if that's how it's supposed to work, but... We're, we're the primary preachers, so we have good reason to fear. <laughs> I think that question is fun because it, it gets at, like, an intellectual humility question, right? It's yeah. Like, like how, how certain am I about whatever it is? And that was always one we were that scared us growing up, right? Like, how do you know you're not being deceived? Yeah. It's like, well, how, how am I supposed to deal with that question? Like, yeah, I right, think do in, the best I can. I think as a child, that was the thing that maybe plagued me the most, is like, well, maybe right. I have a misunderstanding, or these people who are teaching me have a misunderstanding, and... 
So that, yeah, that always was the thing that was just like, I have no reason to believe that they have a misunderstanding, but like, it seems like that's always possible, you know? Right. The whole idea of deception yeah. is kind of philosophically hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm often concerned that I might, oh, oh, did that one. I feel heavy about the possibility that I may end up in hell. Heavy. One. One. Good. We're at, that's actually uh, a nod to the clinical literature on anxiety, so. Oh. Okay. Sometimes I worry uh, that my beliefs are not enough to keep me from hell. That's interesting. It is a really interesting question. My, I would say one, but I can see, and that also seems like a return to sort of a question about intellectual or theological humility and sort of being able to say just like, what if there's a whole piece out there that I don't know about that is going to keep me from, or that is going to, it's the thing that would get me to not go to hell and... I don't have it, you know? So. And that's fair, but I think you guys could also ask yourselves, have I done the due diligence as a person of faith to investigate my thoughts and patterns? And, and I'm sure you... Yeah. Yeah, again, I keep returning the image of Rob Williams' wife and Helen, wait, dreams may come. But also, to quote another Lewis line from that book, is where he says, in the end, there are two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those whom God says to, thy will be done. And I think that's the trick for me in discerning these questions is how extensive am I actually saying to myself, thy will be done in these areas of my life? And for me, that is the very real threat of imprisonment in eternal, you know. Now, as sort of the metaphysics of how this works with souls and bodies and resurrection, and, I mean, that's a different thing we could talk about, mm-hmm. which I think I've combed through this. I mean, you, you don't have a unilateral vision of postmortem existence in Judaism or Christianity. Um, right. And Contrary so to what we were all. I think that yeah. you can't even get the tradition to speak uniformly on the hell we're sending people to. Right. right. So, but that's that's all the cognition in my head. I'm, I'm playing with these images. Sorry, keep going. No, this is great. You're actually t- touching on all the literature review we did in the study about like, okay, what, like, it's, this is a hard problem to get our minds around because people have different ideas of hell and yeah. uh, it might matter, you know, if they're, you know, coming from the, um, whatever theological tradition. Yeah, right. In any event, it it seems that to take it seriously as a psychologist or from a mental health perspective, regardless of, you know, where the theologians have ended or where the consensus is in that circle, we have a popular conception of hell as a place of torment, as a place that you want to avoid. And if it lasts for eternity, you would think from a rational perspective that people would be motivated to do anything at all to avoid that. Sort of like Pascal's wager, right? Right, yeah. Um, And and so uh, that was kind of what we were interested in tapping into is are people being rational about this or how, how do they deal with this like what should be a very like like overwhelming presence in your mental uh, landscape yeah uh yeah wow this is all so interesting by the way real quick to sum up our our little study of two here oh. you guys scored really low on Oh, do we exhaust the quiz now? We're done? Yeah, that was the nine items. You guys, um, so you, the range of score would be, so it's one to five in responses, so you could get a nine to a, a 45. Okay. Oh. Um, and you guys were like at like the nine and 12 range or something. Yeah, I think So we maybe both are 20% hellers, right? <laughs> one out of fivers? Oh, 20, 20% hellers. Yeah. Hellers, yeah. That's our yeah. official So let me ask you this now. I want you to take your psychologist hat off okay. and, and be a lay person in the church, a theologically trained person in the church, however you want to see yourself, what, what does this data mean to you? Um, like, what would you want to say to your 12-year-old self, and what do you want to say to the UBC community, knowing the smorgasbord of kind of unorthodox slash orthodox belief here? 
That's a great question. Um, we, we tried to wrestle with that in our discussion. Like, what's the advice we can extend to people who either are um, clergy members or uh, mental health professionals? Um, and I would say that the advice that we give is, is try to talk to somebody who is experiencing hell anxiety from a perspective of um, why do you think you're likely to go to hell? What's the Why do you think that the probability of you going to hell is so high? And then talk about what kinds of... Um, sort of theological or religious coping things that you can do to mitigate that fear. And for me, it would be um, in understanding that um, either some of the contradictions in theological notions of hell that come from fundamentalism that um, make it implausible and easier to set aside, and then also about, um, like, what am I getting out of a belief in hell? Like, why, why would I subject myself to that? And um, after I wrote this paper, I was thinking about it again. I'm thinking, I think I'm drawn to the idea of hell because I want to see a final justice in this world. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many bad things that happen, and then people just die and move on, and we don't know what the afterlife is going to be like or whatever. But, gosh darn it, I want to see the villains get the comeuppance that they get in the movies. I want to see them... And I don't... I don't that doesn't mean I'm, I, I'm rooting for a physical hell where people are tortured forever. I just... Actually, I think I'm more interested in just the final judgment that God's supposed to have, right? Where mm-hmm. someone comes out and says, you know, you, what you did at this time was bad, Adolf Hitler, and you're wrong forever. Mm-hmm. Well, that is, that's very interesting. That is actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the different, as a, a scientist, again, the different psychological needs we not just have for our religious movements within ourselves, but in hell. And one of them, of course, is justice. Mm-hmm. And in an age where um, we seem to have increasingly given ourselves permission to have a real diverse uh, set of epistemic suppositions in, in building a worldview that can be extremely frustrating for people who have a deep sense of justice. Hmm. Because where is this ultimate authority that is going to hand out a kind of um, you know moral word about the way that you, like we, we can do hope if we can trust that at some point this is going to be rectified. Exactly. And um, I have wondered how I, who I think I have pretty progressive views on hell, actually deal with that very strong psychological need in humans. Um, there's a reason I think it shows up the way it does in Scripture, and it's not just because they're a bunch of fundamentalists. Right. It's because they've had some real suffering and pain. And to have not addressed that within one's lifetime is a is a real crime. So I don't know what to do with that. This is all very interesting. Um, this is the voice Taylor uses when she... <laughs> In her head, she's like, you idiot. No. <laughs> I, didn't no. Think, I didn't think that at all. No, not at all. I find this all very interesting, though, because uh, we talk often about, uh, well, not often. I think we have said it often, certainly the last couple of weeks, in that um, me and Josh often come at conversations from different places, which is to say that he is often interested at a macro level, and I am often interested at a micro level. Um Sounds like a good balance. And hopefully. It's made for some frustrating podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Growth is good. <laughs> we, um, and so I find that even this idea of, so I find myself not very concerned about hell. Mm. And I find myself concerned with justice. I mean, just extremely concerned with justice, but mostly in the way that it can be worked out. Um like, the way I find myself concerned with justice is, like, with the justice that I can enact in the world or that the people around me can enact for our community. 
And I don't often find myself compelled to think much about like a grand sense of justice because I trust I trust that that is coming and not necessarily from uh, I mean, like I do think God is very concerned with justice, but not necessarily in that it's like a I don't find myself thinking much about justice at the end of the age or whatever it is, but mostly that like um people will experience that and that like actually you know sort of this idea of hell as like us um creating a distance between us and god that that person is already experiencing that like someone who is a, a villain or someone like hitler do you know what i mean that they are experiencing that in their life they are you know that they are for whatever reason they've been unable to heal from trauma that they experienced or something like that and that they are already experiencing hell as they live and so i wonder as i don't find myself very concerned with hell in the afterlife um because mostly i think when people create their own unhappiness it's like that's what they're doing to themselves do you think um that has anything to do with your present orientation of time probably so i do think that's probably true enneagram speak now yeah so So, um, twos are very present um I think that's a remarkably psychologically healthy place to be. Oh. I think I think it's really well adjusted. I, mean, I think you're focused on what you can do and make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is a core message of the gospel. I think mm-hmm. people like me and maybe Josh who have this need to, like, be there when the final judgment gets passed so we can go, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it comes from a deep place within us, but it's not necessarily, like, super well adjusted. <laughs> well, and if we're, if we're humble, again, about this, and if the the scriptures teaches anything, I'm thinking like the day of the Lord in Amos, we ought to be mostly nervous for ourselves. So it's like yeah. everybody's interested in cheering about the justice they think they're going to get, but uh, I think the the kind of one of the message from scripture is eh, take the plank out of your own eye there. Yeah, yeah show absolutely. up with some humility. So let me ask you, I have one more I think salient way, maybe the best way to ask the question: doing what you do, knowing what you know, given the faith disposition disposition you have, what will you teach your children about hell? Uh, I will definitely not teach them there's a physical place of hell. Uh, definitely will come at it more of a um, you know, C.S. Lewis, The Great Divide, and um, the movie that we just talked about. Yeah, What Dreams, what may, dreams come. may Come. More of that sense. And uh, I, In fact, I, I would like to take, and this is something that I, as I came back to Christianity, I had to embrace more, but that what you were saying, mm-hmm. which is what I look up to, which is, Taylor, um, that we shouldn't concern ourselves with what happens after we die. We need to focus on what we do on this earth to each other, for each other, with each other. And bring about that kingdom of God. I'd like to focus teaching my children on the present aspects of their faith, and not definitely not use that whole carrot stick heaven hell thing. Like, do the right thing, or you're gonna go to hell. Like, I think yeah. that's just tremendously. Oh, just wait till they won't clean their room. <laughs> <laughs> you pick up those crayons, or you might find yourself over a spit. Uh, spin up over fire. You, you know, the Puritans actually used to do this to their yeah. kids, though. Like, they would say, imagine the little child in an oven stamping his feet in agony. And I'm just like, that turned out well, didn't it? Uh, it's just so psychological. Have you read um, Edward's sermon, Sinners in the yeah, Hands? Yeah. 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 It's amazing some of the imagery he used. And and uh, my co-author and I, were, were like, that's where we were coming from. We were like, okay, we used to think like this. Did that, like, mess us up? Yeah. <laughs> well. Question mark? They were really good at purity culture. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, hey, I actually want to transition, and I'm watching our time. Um, Taylor, did you have any other things you want to talk about in terms of the hell paper? Um, no, I think we've covered it all. It's been such a great conversation so far. 
Okay, so um, given what we've alluded to in terms of the idealism versus the incarnational approaches to almost every topic that Taylor and I seem to <laughs> come at, um, one of the things we've been debating the last two episodes was now that the election has happened, the need for unity versus the need for justice. Um, one of the, your forthcoming projects with, you can say the names, W.C. Rowett? Who's W.C.? That's my advisor. Uh, okay. Wade. Oh, Wade, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, C, no, that's J.C.'s you, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Who, who's, who's Kieran Nick? Courtney Kiernick is another, uh, she got Oh, here. okay, so she's Courtney Kiernick, okay. Uh, you guys are have forthcoming intellectual humility, moderates, and the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. Uh, and I think I saw in your CV you've written something about moderate somewhere else. So I feel like I'm the last moderate in America, um, and it's a very unpopular place to be. Um, so I oh want you to God. bring the hammer. I roll my eyes. So yeah, she's hard. rolling her eyes. What? Wait, do you think I'm not a moderate? Um, no, I think you're a moderate. I just don't think you're the last moderate well, in America. <laughs> I feel like the left and right both just don't like us. Okay. Okay. So I am interested in what you guys are doing. Well, first of all, what's the Dunning Kruger effect? Okay. Um, the Dunning Kruger effect is a psychological process that we engage in that sort of blinds us to how confident we may be in a given area Ooh. if we don't know much about Wait, it. Wait, let's stop right here. <gasps> am I going to come out looking good as a moderate in any of this, or am I going to look bad? <laughs> well, um, no, you'll be fine. Okay, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Though. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's basically like um, if you see people arguing on the internet that don't know much about a topic, but like really claim that like these strong, bold claims about okay, things. Okay, very relevant for me. Keep going. You can, you, can, you can assume that there's some amount of the Dunning-Kruger effect happening. It's basically... If you don't know much about you uh, a given area, you're likely to overclaim your likely performance oh, or sure. knowledge about this. So, uh, we wanted to see if intellectual humility was like related to this. Like, if you were more intellectually humble, you would be less likely to engage in the Dunning Kruger effect. Uh-huh. So we gave people like different um, knowledge tests, and we tried to see if people that uh, you know like said, "Oh, I'm going to be great on this general knowledge test," and then didn't do well in the general knowledge test, ended up having a lower intellectual humility. And it turns out it's not um, – their their actual performance uh, wasn't too disaffected, but uh, there was some relationship with, between people's arrogance, so to speak, and how much they would overclaim that they would perform. Um, although the, the title, I think you might be a misnomer here, uh, Josh, is Moderates, which means how it affects. Oh, I'm oh. such an idiot. <laughs> no. I do this all the no, time. No, no, no. I got it's so okay. excited. We can still talk about moderates. moderates. Can I tell you guys something funny? Yeah. I, I have dyslexia, which is oh. not an excuse. But what, yeah, I had does. to present a paper in, um, <laughs> in a seminary class. It's like definitely an excuse. To and um, instead of writing the word assess, I wrote the word asses a bunch of times. <laughs> 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 so um, I, it's, it's that stuff happens to me. I've also done it in the pulpit. I said, I, well, in this, I, I read a tweet once that said, if you're hearing somebody mispronounce a word, um, be gracious because they learned it reading. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I would say theophany. Instead of theophany, uh. bunch, and the other one, I oh, I always I'm like super floss. What does that mean? Super floss. Super floss. Oh, <laughs> super floss. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, used, I used to think it was this uh, Suex Indians that you know. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. yeah, I'm exactly like you. I read a whole bunch. No one taught me anything, so I had to. I have. I have to be dis uh, corrected or disabused of my pronunciations on a daily basis. But there are still some words that's like I still can't figure out if you're supposed to say brusque or brisk. I don't know which one it is. To be like um, when someone is like sort of short with you. Oh, I think it's brisk, isn't it? I I, I, I think it's brisk, but it's spelled with a U. Oh, I'm not thinking the right word then. It might be just a regional thing too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So I have a follow-up thought now. Yes. Um, 
the Dunning Kruger effect. Uh-huh. Did that in fact play out in my way? I read the thing like <laughs> intellectual humility. <laughs> the next word must be moderates because that's what I am. <laughs> and I want it to be true. No, you just made a simple uh, dyslexic yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not a big deal. Um, that's so interesting, though. So intellectual humility. Oh, it's a verb. Humility, okay. humility moderates a, the Dunning Kruger. Oh, that's. I'm glad everybody has this on air for eternity. And the Dunning Kruger effect again is. This podcast um, is going to end after the hell section. <laughs> is when someone makes a bolder claim, but actually because they know less. Yeah. So the original way they defined it in literature was they asked people like, uh, that were going to do some procedural task. And then, so they had people that were that had no familiarity with the task, some familiarity, a little bit, and the people who were experts on the task. Uh-huh. And then they asked, they were asked to estimate, like how good do you think you're going to do? And the people that didn't know anything way overestimated their ability to actually do things, whereas the experts were like right exactly as you would expect. So you're telling me that we've got a uh, current president to whom the Dunning Kruger <laughs> effect really applies. Uh-huh. Uh, Donald Trump has been an actual great example and lesson for all the intellectuality intellectual humility research i've done like like the opposite in intellectual humility is kind of like narcissism mm-hmm. and he's just such a great like uh, example of like huh. what, what all of the items who people would answer that indicate that they're narcissistic or whatever and it's just like yeah. that's that's perfect so yeah that is i find that so interesting did you guys um i think i said that's so interesting like a thousand times so far um did you guys factor in social media at all, or, um, or I mean, what would that even look like? Because I feel like the place I see these things. Also, it has been in- very interesting in my conversations in the past four years or so, five years, um, to kind of like just sort of my brain has learned these things. Like, just because this person is saying this thing about their own ability, or th- that they're an economic expert, or something like that, or they for sure know how these tax plans go down, is like. I have to I actually don't have to take them at their word about that. I, I need to get a deeper understanding of why they know that thing and how they know that thing and how well they know that thing. Um in a way that I just think I didn't necessarily always try to, you know, sort of try to do before, you know, the more political conversations of the last 5 years or so. Um and I, f- I feel like I see that play out on social media a lot. So did that factor in at all, or was it just – did it not? We didn't ask uh, people about their social media experience, although that would be a really cool study. I think mm-hmm. the important thing to, to remind myself of when I do this research is that it's not just that um, – stupid people or ignorant people are susceptible to this we all are susceptible mm-hmm. to the dunning-kruger effect right. especially when we're not an expert about something yeah and we see that in our culture and with the latest political developments that people are willing to wade in without knowing things um people are less willing to listen to experts people are less willing to modulate their mm. knowledge to where they actually should and so it's problematic and, and um hopefully the virtue of intellectual humility would help people um sort of motivate them to be less overclaiming in the first place yeah it does feel like sort of standard i mean i think of all the like seminarian like the people i started seminary with who it's like i mean it's just like a week and a half in we were all like oh i know nothing i know zero <laughs> things and yeah. josh probably didn't feel that way because josh is actually no, so smart I- um, I had plenty of moments where I thought it was moderate. So it was, <laughs> it was moderate. And so it does feel like um, That'll keep one of those things where 
when you start to study something, it just is like, um, you know, you start any sort of program like that with an idea of like, I know, you know, I know a good amount of knowledge about this. And then it's like the more you learn, the more you realize, like, I don't know anything. Well, don't you think you could even see that correlation in professors? Like uh, the the more insecure ones were the ones who were swinging a lot harder. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the, the ones who were clearly brilliant would be perfectly fine we're, stating their own limitations. We're just always saying, like, you know, I'm not an expert in this. And it was like, okay, but you kind of are. In fact, the original uh, paper on Dunning-Kruger showed that the experts were a little bit less likely. They underestimated themselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. indicating that they were almost overcorrecting for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. And, I, man, those old school professors are the people that were bullies. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. definitely tell there's something insecure about how they felt about their knowledge because you wouldn't need to attack people like that if you actually – you know, knew what was happening. Well, and I wonder, too, now I'm speculating this is completely, but I, I would think, too, probably people who are really good in the academy are constantly reading people who they think are smarter than themselves and constantly mm-hmm. trying to take in information they actually don't know and not paying attention kind of to their competitive advantage among their peers because that's not what they're there for. Yeah. Whereas people who are trying to cling for identity are probably trying to overcompensate and get a lot of, you know, confirmation bias for what they think they already know. And That's, I guess, spot on. I think... Um, you know, good, the best academic and scholarly research is it takes place as much free from the ego as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I do want to watch your time. Uh, I actually have to be for some somewhere definitely at two o'clock, so I hate to cut this short. Okay. I did have one more question since I have a psych- psychologist here. I another term I stopped using because I decided I and this is so dumb I could just look it up on the internet. But I have you here. Uh, can you explain in two sentences the Hawthorne effect? Yeah. Um, I always get the Hawthorne and the Barnum effect. Okay, the Hawthorne effect is when you might change your behavior when you know that you're being observed. Correct? Oh, uh, okay. Um, the Barnum effect is when um, you – it's like astrology. Like you can make something so nebulous that anybody can map themselves onto it. Okay, I see. That's the two I think I was conflating. I think yeah. I was using the Hawthorne effect to actually describe the Barnum effect. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for clearing that up for me. Taylor, do you have anything else you want to do? Um – well, now I'm very interested in these two effects. But I <laughs> well, maybe we ought to have Dr. Joseph Lehman back on yeah. the program. Yeah. Um, um, uh, no, I think this was such a fun conversation. And I love talking about humility at the end of it because mm. I think that intellectual humility, theological humility, humility in general is such an important thing that a lot of us, that we seem to be missing in cultural culture generally right now. So, um so thanks for that work, and thanks for coming and talking to us about it. I really appreciate it. Uh, as I said before, every academic loves it when people take uh, interest in what they do. It makes us feel like we are actually doing something good. So thank you yeah. both very much.